It has been really fun to share Valentine's blessings with you and receive them. Let's continue to have some fun looking at the blessings that the Lord is prophesying through Ezekiel. Messianic kingdom promises. Messianic kingdom. I have only recently begun to use that phrase. Messianic kingdom means millennial kingdom, thousand year reign of Jesus. And um, I love calling it the messianic kingdom because it is when everyone will know that Jesus is the Messiah. The message that was given by the Lord to Ezekiel to give to the exiles was to give them hope. And at the same time that it gave them hope, the prophecies also showed the wonderful character of the Lord. What's the first thing that we have seen in bold, repeated statements throughout our whole study of Ezekiel? The Lord's ultimate goal through his messages is they shall know that I am the Lord. So we're just reminding ourselves of that. And knowing the Lord is not about knowing him from a distance. It's about knowing him intimately, personally, knowing him as fully as he has revealed himself to us. And a few aspects of his character that we can recognize from the blessings that we're about to look at are that God is faithful to his promises. He has a plan for his people and he will be faithful to carry out that plan. God is good. These promises show us that he gives good things to his people. God is wise. He knows what is best. He knows the best way to carry it all out. And we also can see from all of these prophecies and promises that God is in control. He is sovereign and he is powerful to do what he says he will do. The things that have already happened to Israel have been according to his plans and his promises that he made to Israel will be brought about by his sovereignty. There is nothing that can thwart God's plans. He is not going to have a moment where he says, oops, I didn't see that coming. He is not going to have a moment where he goes, "Uh oh, heaven, we have a problem. He knows what's going on. He is in control. He is sovereign. He is going to work it all out. He's got a plan. He's in control. God's character. Let us remember who he is. We have seen so many prophecies about judgment. And there are still a few more prophecies of judgment, but they are part of the plan to bless Israel. We know from the prophecies about judgment that we've already seen that God kept his word and he carried out those prophecies. That gives us a running start. We know he's going to keep his word about his promises. So I'm going to give you a long introduction to the blessings and then we're going to see them listed out at the very end of your handout. In Ezekiel 34, 11, thus says the Lord God, indeed I myself will search out for my sheep and seek them out. This is an emphatic statement. And I think it sounds exciting in the Hebrew, even if I'm pronouncing it wrong. Thus says Yahweh Adonai, Hineni, 
ani. So, hineni is the Hebrew word for behold, look, pay attention. Wow, it is an exciting word. Hineni. And then he says, ani, which is the pronoun for I. And it is not necessary in a Hebrew sentence. So it is emphatic. Hineni, ani. <laughs> Yahweh Adonai will search for my sheep. Making it clear. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. The sheep of the Lord in this passage are specifically Israelites. They're Jews. And Jews have been scattered all over the world. So what I wanted to share from that is the fact that the Jews have been scattered from Israel since 722 BC when the Assyrians came, from 586 when Nebuchadnezzar came, from 70 AD when the Romans came and attacked. Even now, even though 1948, the nation of Israel was established again, Jews are still scattered all over the world. And everywhere that they have settled and prospered for a while, eventually the communities around them begin to persecute them and drive them out, which has caused them to relocate, be scattered, relocate. It has happened again and again. You can Google on your own time, Jews in, and just name a country, and you'll see the history of the Jews in Japan. I did this. The history of Jews in Indonesia. The history of Jews in Iran. They're all over the Norway. You know, just plug something in, check out Wikipedia, and you will see uh, something about Jewish communities. Ezekiel 34:12 says that the Lord will seek out his sheep and deliver them from all the places that they were scattered on a dark and cloudy day. So this may refer to a very specific day that is coming in the future. And it may refer to the midpoint of the tribulation. So here's the timeline that I show you in my class when I'm teaching through end times. And we have rapture. Purple arrow, resurrecting, believers, those who know Christ. Some period of time, that first peachy block is an unknown period of time. And then there's a green block. And that green block is the first three and a half years of the tribulation time. In the middle, that uh, brownish thing I've just circled, is the midpoint of the tribulation. And... The abomination of desolation is the day when the Antichrist shows himself to be the evil, blasphemous dictator who wants to be worshipped as God. It's that day that Jesus talks about when he says people are to pay attention. Matthew 24, 15 and 16. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So there's a day coming in the future when there will be Israelites in Israel who need to leave Israel and scatter again. That first three and a half years, that green block is the time of peace, so-called peace. The temple, the third temple will be there. Jews will be sacrificing. This will be a place where the Israelite people want to be. And then terror 
and they need to flee. So they'll be scattered again. Now, I've circled the yellow column, and this is representing Jesus returning to earth. And third, Ezekiel 34, 12, him seeking out his sheep who were scattered and bringing them back. The reason that I'm putting this timeline up there is to help you see that we are now entering in the book of Ezekiel, the distant future, a time after this time of tribulation, after the seven years of tribulation. So there is a, an, a um, reestablishing and setting up things to prepare for the millennial kingdom. In Ezekiel 34, 13 through 16, you studied these verses, but I want to read through them again. I'm going to put them up on the screen. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. So I'm going to click back real quick. I'm saying that that is a prophecy of the pink time. The thousand year reign, the millennial kingdom, the messianic kingdom. Now I'm going to go forward and itemize some of those uh, things that God just said. Number one, he will regather Israel to their own land. Number two, God will provide for Israel, feeding them on the mountains. Number three, he will take care of his flock, binding up the broken and strengthening the sick. You know, those who have been scattered and away and have survived the tribulation, there's brokenness. Um, this is telling us that the Lord is going to heal his people. And then number four, God will judge at the end of the tribulation. There is judgment spoken of in Ezekiel 34. And this happens at the end of the tribulation as the Lord knows who is his. Only those who know Jesus as their Messiah will survive and be alive when the Messianic kingdom begins. So the first days of the Messianic kingdom, those early days are going to be amazing. <laughs> All believers happy and gathered together. I'm going to skip past the judgment verses down to Ezekiel 34:23, And the rest of Ezekiel chapter 34 describes the long-awaited, beautiful, prosperous, united kingdom of Israel. 34, 23, the Lord says, I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them. My servant, David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord will be their God and my servant, David, a prince among them. I, the Lord have spoken. Now I want to highlight some Hebrew words in this statement from the Lord. I, Yahweh, I, the Lord, Yahweh will be their God, Elohim. And my servant David, a prince, Nazi, among them. I, Yahweh, have spoken. 
when I first taught through Ezekiel and studied this book, my commentaries prompted me to interpret this David the Prince as a messianic reference with the name David being used to represent Jesus. I wrote it that way in lesson number three of the next unit you're going to come to. So you're going to see uh, a commentator's quote saying that this David the Prince is Jesus. But I have now been exposed to another interpretation that it's not Jesus. <laughs> I, I've read the commentaries again, why this would be a messianic reference. But I've also read and studied how this David could be the resurrected David. And this David, meaning the historical previous king of Israel. David the shepherd boy, who was chosen by God to be king over Israel. I've spent time considering both of these interpretations. And by taking the whole context of Ezekiel into consideration... I've changed <laughs> and I've learned more and I've come to the conclusion that there are more reasons to understand that this is David, the resurrected David, serving as prince. And it, this interpretation does not slight Jesus, the Messiah at all, because he's still the sovereign king of kings over Israel and over all the nations of the world. And I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But I'm going to explain to you why I've come to this conclusion. And part of my explanation is showing you how I am interpreting the Bible. And this is not just for here. This is for you as you're reading the Bible and, and making decisions about what does this mean. So the first thing, and this is on your handout because it's so important. The golden rule of interpretation. And this quote is by da Dr. David Cooper, who was one of the earlier Older men that I know put it into this language. I know others who have said the same thing. But when the plain sense of scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Therefore, take every word at its primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning, unless the facts of the immediate context studied in the light of related passages and axiomatic and fundamental truths indicate clearly otherwise. So this is known as the literal interpretation of the Bible. That means reading the Bible according to its literary meaning, like the type of book that it is, the type of language that it uses. You need to pay attention. Is this a narrative, a story? Is it a parable? Is it history? Is it a riddle? <laughs> is it poetry? We've seen riddles. In Ezekiel, where the kings were referred to as cedar trees and eagles. And you know that a king, the tree is not a king. The king is not a tree. He's not an eagle. So it was a riddle and poetry. So you're reading it in a literary understanding. In that same riddle, the Messiah was referred to as a tender sprig. And you know, Jesus is not just a little branch. I mean, he is a branch, but he's not uh, a piece of wood. And it said he grew into a majestic cedar. Anyway, the context of Ezekiel 17 showed us the meaning of the riddle. We looked at the historical context, the immediate context. And when we come to Ezekiel 34, there's no riddle going on here. We have a prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophecy against the bad kings and leaders of the people. 
second thing that leads me to see this princess being David, resurrected David. In the book of Ezekiel, the human kings of Israel are almost always called shepherds and princes. The prince, and they use, Ezekiel uses this term, Nazi. Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh are called kings, and they use the Hebrew word, Melech. There are a few times where the word Melech is used for a king of Israel. I'm going to talk about um, the use of that word Melech a little bit more in a minute. Also, in the book of Ezekiel, in the coming chapters, we will see the Lord give instructions specifically to Ezekiel. And I've put that verse up there. Ezekiel is told to take specific actions to consecrate the altar of the temple which will be built. There are also specific instructions being given to Levitical priests. So I don't see Ezekiel just being a representative of a priest in the future. I see that Ezekiel is to have the same type of role that Moses had in the wilderness when he oversaw the building of the tabernacle, he consecrated the tabernacle, and then he turned over all of the priestly duties to Aaron and his son. So here in Ezekiel 43, 18 and 19, and he, the Lord, said to me, and he's talking to, I mean, that's Ezekiel, first person, son of man, that's what the Lord always calls Ezekiel. Son of man, thus says the Lord God, these are the ordinances for the altar on the day when it's made, for sacrificing burnt offerings on it, and for sprinkling blood on it. You shall give a young bull for a sin offering to the priests, the Levites, who are the seed of Zadok, who approach me to minister to me. I see a resurrected Ezekiel having the privilege of serving as a priest on a very special day. He was trained to be a priest and then he was in exile and he was not a priest. And it looks like he's going to be given this honor and this opportunity to actually serve as a, a priest in consecrating the altar. Fourth, in the book of Ezekiel, we will see the prince referred to again. And these references about the prince sound very much like they refer to someone other than Jesus. Letter A, Ezekiel 44.3. As for the prince, because he is the prince, he may sit in it, which is the gate, to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gateway and go out the same way. So here, the prince is eating bread before the Lord because he's not the Lord. The and eating bread is an act of worship. So this is part of the ceremonies and, and festivals and, and worship and sacrifice. Also, this verse is in the context of telling the prince where he can sit and how he's to come in and out of the temple. And you will see that there is a specific gate that has been shut because the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of the Lord has entered through that gate and then it's shut and no one else can come through out of honor to the Lord who has entered in it. This prince is not allowed to enter the gate that the Shekinah glory went through. Well, if it's Jesus, he would have the right to go in and out of that gate. Uh, letter B, Ezekiel forty-five twenty-two. On that day, the prince shall prepare for himself and for all the people of the land a bull for a sin offering. 
the prince here is not making the sin offering. He's not acting in a priestly way. So that's one clue for us that this would not be Jesus. David, if the prince is David, he's of the tribe of Judah. And the priests come from the tribe of Levi. But I've given you Psalm 110. Jesus the Messiah is said to be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And that means that he is a king and a priest. So we have this prince preparing, basically providing the animal for the sacrifices, turning it over to the priest. And then in letter C, Ezekiel forty-six sixteen, Thus says the Lord God, if the prince gives a gift of some of his inheritance to any of his sons... It should belong to his sons. It's their possession by inheritance. The prince has sons, children, offspring. Who has sons? David has sons. Perhaps David, as the prince, the king, will be able to give a portion of land to Solomon or Hezekiah or Josiah or maybe someone further down the line, Zerubbabel or Joseph, Jesus' stepfather. Or even Jesus' stepbrothers are of the line of David and could be considered sons of David. I'm not saying that. that, I mean, I'm just giving you some example of offspring that David already has. So that's, those are a lot of verses about the prince. And now there are two more verses in Ezekiel that use the name of David. You're going to see them soon. And they're going to confuse us all over again. Ezekiel 37, 24 and 25. David, my servant, shall be king over them. Uh Uh-oh, king. This is the word melech. I was so happy when he was just being called prince. They shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I've given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt. And they shall dwell there. They, their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Oh boy, in the same breath. (laughs) David is king. David is prince. Why is Melech? Why is king used here? I stopped and I checked it out. Look at the context. What is going on? You're going to see this for yourself very soon. The Lord is emphasizing in this portion of Ezekiel 37 that Israel, which had been divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. There are a lot of kings and a lot of kings. He's going to bring it back and it's going to be one united kingdom with one king over them. So Ezekiel thirty-seven twenty-two, I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. And right after he says that, he says, my servant David shall be king. So it, it flows. It's the train of thought. He's talking about one nation with one king. Who's the one king going to be? It's going to be David. David was a shepherd. David was a king. And he can serve as a resurrected David as king. I want to pause for just a second and realize that during the Messianic kingdom, there will be specific geographical locations. 
countries, nations. That's how the Lord is talking about Israel as a specific nation. And there will be others. Israel will be the most important one, but there'll be many other nations and governments. The mortals living in Israel will have government. And so I'm understanding resurrected David to be king over this government. Who else will be ruling in Israel? The Bible does tell us about some others. Jesus said his disciples would be. Matthew 19, 28. And this is the translation from the Christian Standard Bible. Jesus said to them, I assure you, in the Messianic age, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So his disciples are given thrones. That sounds regal. <laughs> they are given leadership over the 12 tribes of Israel. These are the resurrected disciples in their glorified bodies. Other nations will have governing officials. Who will they be? Well, they could be mortals, but they, the, the head, the top guy, <laughs> may be a resurrected saint. And I'm getting this from Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Reign, rule, have authority, have leadership. And this is wide open to not just Jews, not just the disciples, resurrected saints. I'm going to show you a chart to paint a picture of what I've been talking about here. Jesus is king of kings. Jesus is king over all kings. Jesus is king over all the world and everybody else is under him. And there's a Gentile branch, which would be all the nations of the world. This includes the church and tribulation saints as rulers over the mortals in these other countries. And under them would be kings. And they, as I said, they're over the Gentile nations. So that's the Gentile side. On the Jewish side of things, the Jewish branch, we would see Jesus is king over Israel. And David is reigning under him as king over Israel. The 12 apostles are ruling from their 12 thrones over the 12 tribes of Israel. In other places in scripture, there are princes mentioned and judges and counselors mentioned as leaders. And this is the, the dominion over the people of Israel and even the nation of Israel during the millennial kingdom. The nation of Israel is the top nation. They are the greatest. They are blessing every other nation around the world. So Israel is being given authority over other nations. So that's why those Gentiles, you could say Gentile nations there on that last row. Now I want to give you another way to look at all this. To understand these terms of king and prince. Can consider it from God's perspective and from Israel's perspective. So from God's perspective, God's up. He's looking down. He sees Jesus as king. And under Jesus is David reigning under king as co-regent or under shepherd. So that's God looking down. From Israel's perspective, the people 
underneath the leadership. They're looking up and they see David as their king. But Jesus is Messiah, king, ruling over him. Also, the last thing I'm going to say about this is what David said. David, as king, knew who his master was. He knew he wasn't the head guy. Psalm 110.1, a psalm of David. The Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord Adonai. And that's really the phrase that I'm focusing on. This is prophetic utterance out of David's mouth. Jesus tells us that David is calling the Messiah my Lord. So you see David saying, Yahweh says to my Lord. That means David sees himself under both. Under Yahweh, under my Lord, under the Messiah. And in Psalm 145.1, a song of praise. David says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever. David understood that God is the King. Yahweh is the King over him, even if he is wearing the title of King over Israel. That now concludes my explanation of why I understand David the prince to be resurrected David. So he's got a glorified body and he is seeing and uh, ministering to the people of Israel. And hopefully during that whole description you got a sneak preview of some of the things that we're going to study soon. The temple, the sacrifices, the land being given out, things to come. So... Now, a few more about these great blessings that we have seen the Lord promise to Israel. Number one, no wild animals to be afraid of. This means you can camp outside anywhere you want. Ezekiel 34, 25, the Lord says, I will make a covenant of peace with them and cause wild beasts to cease from the land and they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. You've heard the lion will lay down with the lamb. You've heard that the animals are going to be at peace uh, with each other and with man. So here it is in Ezekiel. Number two, God will make his hill, his millennial kingdom mountain. He'll make that a blessing. Ezekiel 34, 26. I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. How's he going to do that? One way is sending the rains. Number three, the rains will come in the appropriate seasons. Ezekiel 34, 26. I will cause showers to come down in their seasons. There shall be showers of blessing in their seasons. That is such a benefit to the land. And that brings about number four. The seasonal rains will cause the land to be abundantly fruitful. There will be no hunger. Ezekiel thirty-four twenty-seven says, The trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase. This is also seen in Ezekiel 36, 8 and 9. You read this, but I love the way that the Lord puts it. When he's talking to the mountains of Israel, he says, You shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they're about to come. Indeed, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. So much about the actual land of Israel. That makes it real, not figurative, not spiritual, not an allegory. It's not mystical. This is land. <laughs> Number five, the Jews will be safe at home. What good news. 
Ezekiel 34, 27. They shall be safe in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord. I'll come back to that phrase. Number six, there's no more oppression from the other nations. That's why they're safe. Ezekiel 34, 27, 28. When I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them, they shall no longer be a prey for nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell safely, and no one shall make them afraid. Just think of how you feel when you are afraid of something, whether it is a wild animal or a ferocious barking dog or the threat of weather. It, you don't feel good. <laughs> there is no peace. There will be peace. Number seven is the Lord again declaring that the land will be fruitful. He will provide plenty of food and Israel will be a garden of renown known worldwide for the success of all of the crops. 34, 29. I will raise up for them a garden of renown and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land nor bear the shame of the Gentiles anymore. Number eight, all Israel will enter into the Messianic kingdom as believers in Messiah, their Savior, and they will know their God. Ezekiel 34, 30. Thus they shall know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and they, the house of Israel, are my people. This is personal relationship. This is togetherness. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God. And that phrase, you are men, has stuck out to me like a sore thumb. I'm like, I don't really get that. But Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum says that in the Hebrew, the phrase, you are men, reads, you are Adam, Adam. And he understands this to mean that this phrase is indicating that they will have the same intimate relationship with the Lord that Adam had in the garden before he sinned. Oh, I like that. That fits into everything that's being said here. The garden. And you are Adam now. Like Adam. That's the promise of the Lord. The best is yet to come. You read about a few more blessings in Ezekiel 36, and I'm going to mention them very briefly as a reminder that these are also millennial kingdom blessings. Ezekiel 36, 10 and 11. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, all of it, and the cities shall be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply upon you man and beast. They shall increase and bear young. I will make you inhabited as in former times and do better for you than at your beginnings. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So we see number nine, God will multiply the people. At the end of the tribulation, only one third of the Jewish population will survive the tribulation time period. And out of that one third, the, those who don't believe in Jesus will be judged and they will not enter the millennial kingdom. So you have a small remnant of Jews walking into with bodies like yours, the millennial kingdom. And God is going to bring about a population explosion. Just Noah was on the ark with eight people and God repopulated the world from that. So it's not going to be too hard a thing for him to greatly increase. And for a thousand years, there's going to be health 
and life. People get to live a long time, so they can have a lot of babies. There will be no pharaohs to kill them. There will be no idol worship and child sacrifice being offered. There will be no holocaust to take them away. No threat to the Jews during this thousand years. They'll need a lot of cities. They'll be rebuilt and inhabited. And I love this. The Lord will do more good to Israel than ever before. So let's end with that. These are the glorious blessings that the Lord has planned for the nation of Israel. And through the fulfillment of these blessings, the whole world will be blessed. The whole world will be at peace under the perfect reign of Messiah Jesus, who is king of all kings, right? We will see this. We will enjoy this. And we will serve in this kingdom of the Messiah. Celebrate that. Look forward to it. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father in heaven, you are above all. Now, Jesus, you are at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. And you are above all. Everything has been put under your feet. You will defeat your enemy, Satan. You will rule over all nations and every person I praise you that you are worthy of being king of kings and you will rule with justice and love and holiness. I thank you that we know you now as our king, our savior. I thank you for your love for us and that you have given us life through your spirit and we belong to you and we are your sheep. We are your people now. Thank you that we can know you intimately and personally and serve you even, even now. We thank you for the promises that you have made to Israel. Thank you that uh, we see your character in these promises and you are faithful. I pray that this will help us as we walk with you throughout all the situations in our own lives that look bleak to us as Israel felt so distraught in exile. Things looked bleak, but you've got a plan. You have a plan for us. Thank you for holding us. and You've got the whole world in your hands. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.